Welcome to another episode of the Chronically Healing Podcast with Jesse Fritz and Christina Singera. And this is my first solo episode. Jesse's gone this week. She'll be back next week. And I was a little nervous, but it worked out. And we had the fabulous Daphne Wiswell on the podcast. I think you're going to like this one a lot. And there's a few reasons for that. She talks about rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's, and a lot of the things that I'm sure you've heard about on the podcast prior. But we also really dive into giving ourselves permission, permission to heal, permission to be, and just so many other affirming ways of thinking about our journey. And I really think you're going to enjoy that. We also dive into a home recipe you can try with regards to low stomach acid, which is something so many chronic illness warriors deal with. We just dive into a lot of different things, a lot of different topics. I think you're going to thoroughly enjoy it. And she, like myself, is a coach who actually deals with the disease that she helps others overcome. And that is really powerful because unlike just learning about something, we understand what it's like to go through ups and downs, to go through flares, to have symptoms, to not feel heard and not feel understood. And there's a really powerful empathy that is at play in that scenario. And I think that you'll see that throughout our conversation, just having been there and being able to fully understand what someone is going through. So I hope you enjoy the episode. If you're someone who is looking for new ideas for your journey, if you're looking for someone who just wants a refreshing conversation on healing, but also navigating life and the stressors and the ups and downs, definitely have a listen. And if you have not yet, please make sure you go subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, rate us. It really, really does help us go up in the ranks and inspire more awesome people like yourself. And if you haven't yet, we did start a new Instagram for season two onward. That's Chronically Healing Podcast. You should be able to find us there on Instagram. And we have a private Facebook group as well, Chronically Healing Community, that we would love to see you in. And without further ado, let's head into the episode with Daphne. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Chronically Healing Podcast. My name is Christina, and my lovely co-host, Jessie, is not here this week. She will be back next episode, ready to rock and roll. This is actually my first solo episode, so I'm equal parts nervous, but also excited. Today, we're interviewing the fabulous Daphne Wiswell, and we are really excited to have her on. We're going to be talking all things autoimmune disease, root cause healing, how it is to be a coach who actually has the disease that you're coaching others about, and so many things. So Daphne, without further ado, can you give us a brief overview of you, your journey with chronic illness and all the things? Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for having me, Christina. I'm excited to be here. And I know that you're going to do an amazing job solo today. <laughs> um, so I'm, like you said, my name's Daphne Wiswell. I brief overview of my journey. So I have dealt myself with, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, anxiety, depression, um, seasonal affective disorder, uh, vertigo, migraines. I could keep listing. I don't know. I've, um, lots of things <laughs> and I've healed from a lot of those things. So I don't deal with rheumatoid arthritis anymore. I haven't had a symptom or taken a medication in over 10 years. Uh, Hashimoto's was in remission for a while, but as most people probably listening know, autoimmune disease is, um, 
it just flares for all kinds of reasons. Even when you're taking really great care of yourself and really doing a good job with nutrition and rest and all those things, they're just things that are beyond our control. So Hashimoto's has been in remission, but it's, it's back with a vengeance. And I'm working through that right now. Um, the vertigo I dealt with for a brief period of time, but worked with an amazing physician who has an incredible treatment program. And, um, she helped me heal migraines and vertigo. And I really don't deal with migraines anymore at all. I, I just, I just love her and, um, anxiety, depression, haven't dealt with that in a really long time, probably almost 20 years. Um, I mean, we all get anxious sometimes, right. About different things. And so I have to mindfully overcome, um, when anxiety tries to rear its ugly head, but it's not like an ongoing chronic, like, um, debilitating part of my life anymore and hasn't been for a long time. I have kids who deal with autoimmune and chronic illness. So some of my, my kids have dealt with, um, sensory processing disorder, type one diabetes, juvenile psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, also depression and anxiety, and a whole lot of other things with them. And so chronic illness has just been a part of my life for a really long time. And I decided after going through my own healing process and after parenting kids for, it's been almost two decades since my kids have been, well, let's see, 15 years ago is when my son got diagnosed and he was the first diagnosis. But So it's been a long time. I've been dealing with them and their illnesses. And so after my own journey of healing and after parenting them through, um, not healing, (laughs) I I feel like I can come at things from both sides. Like I understand the importance of uh, hoping for healing and working towards healing. But then I also understand the reality of sometimes it doesn't happen or, um, I tell people all the time that healing can come in different forms. Like if my son didn't have the technology and the, and the medical things that he has to keep him alive, he would have died a year after his diagnosis. And so to me, in my mind, that's, that's, um, him receiving some form of healing. Like he gets to live an almost normal life because of these tools that we have access to. And so I really love the work that I get to do with people, um, as an extension of my education and my own personal experiences, because I think it just, it all really matters whether we're healing or whether we're healing our mindset around our circumstances, they're equally important. I love that. And I want to expand on what you just said about healing coming in different forms. I like that a lot because I feel like on a chronic illness journey, it's really common to have this elusive summit in our head. So when I reach this, then I shall be healed and life shall be amazing again. Mm -hmm. And we kind of wait to start living a little bit because we're just waiting for this elusive summit. So Mm -hmm. do you have some examples either on your own journey or people that you've worked with? What are some examples of healing before you truly reach this big, huge milestone? What are some mini miracles let's call them that have occurred that that you would attribute to doing the work but maybe you're not a hundred percent where you want to be yet you know what i mean yeah yeah sure so i think some examples of like many miracles are when someone can uh just determine that they're going to treat their body like the miracle that it is our bodies are created to heal they're designed to heal they know how to function they get a little confused sometimes but but if we can, um, when I see people really just 
get in their mind, like, okay, I I'm not at the result that I want to see yet. I'm not healed. I'm not, um, my labs aren't perfect. This is, you know, whatever it is, my joints are still hurting. I still feel tired, whatever it might be, but I choose to believe that my actions matter and taking care of myself matters. And they do little things like, well, I know that sugar is inflammatory, so I'm going to stay away from sugar as much as I can. Maybe it doesn't mean cut it out completely, but, but they're like, you know, I get, I love getting text messages from clients. Like I didn't drink a soda today. You know, like they're super excited about that one little thing. That's a mini miracle for them. And, and I, I know that I, I used to be a big soda drinker, so it might not sound like a big deal, but it's like, if, if you can start with those little small steps, then they end up being huge huge factors in your healing journey, because if you can stop drinking soda and start drinking more water and cut out caffeine or whatever it might be, you know, nutritionally or other things just might be, um, you know, having a a different mindset, like shifting your mindset to say, okay, well, I'm not at this desired result yet, but I believe that I will be. And because of that belief, I am going to act like I'm already there. So I'm going to make plans for the rest of my life. I'm going to set goals. I'm going to, um, use part of the energy that I have to do something that I'm dreaming about today, you know, and those things can have a major impact in how we experience life. I totally agree. And I've been on this core values kick with even my clients and myself, because I really feel like goals are fleeting. Goals are based on our emotions, outside circumstances, very much so relationships and things going on around us. But Mm -hmm. when we attach ourselves to a core value that can support our goals, then we're able to stick to it and have a little bit more conviction. So Mm -hmm. that reminded me when you mentioned the soda. So if you decide that your core value is that, for example, you value your health, then it will naturally be that maybe the soda is a little bit easier to avoid because now there's a deeper conviction than just, uh, you know, I have a goal of not drinking soda. But that's not that's dependent upon the day, if you woke up in a good mood or not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's not who you are. You know what I mean? So I like that you gave that example, because I just think those mini miracles matter. And I really believe that the energy we put out into the universe is what we receive back. And so if you're telling the universe, you said how the body knows how to heal. Totally agree with that. And do you agree with this? I feel like it's really easy to start believing we are not capable of healing. We're not capable Mm -hmm. of remission. And we're telling our body that every day. We're telling the universe that every day. And then we feel perplexed as to why things aren't moving. On your own journey, do you feel like you had moments like that where you kind of didn't believe it and then you felt yourself backtracking, even though you felt like you were doing the work, but maybe deep down you didn't have that belief? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, um, I share in my book how even though I didn't believe it was possible for me to heal every day, I said out loud, I am healing. I am whole. I am full of energy. Like I just had all these, um, declaration statements that I would make because I wanted my brain to hear my voice saying it, even though I didn't believe it yet, because I, I wanted it to be true. I wanted it to be true. And I didn't know it at that time, you know, this was, I don't know, 12 years ago. I didn't know that it's actually scientifically proven to work. It's like, we can change the neural pathways in our brain. I don't know if you've followed Caroline leaf, but 
we can change the, the pathways in our brain and, and we can do that by changing the way that we think and changing the way that we speak. And I really believe that that was a major key factor in my own healing journey for rheumatoid arthritis and from everything else that I've walked through and healed was that I, it, it was difficult for me to believe that it was possible. So I just kept saying it until it was reality. I love that. So do you have some other examples? Because I always like to give our listeners some really good nuggets that they can take with them the moment they listen to the episode. What mm -hmm. are some of the, let's say, top three to five affirmations that you to this day really believe in and like to give yourself, your clients? Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So one of them that I say really frequently is I am full of energy. Because, you know, with chronic or autoimmune illness, a lot, Not of, times a lot of that we, going around all the time, yeah, like, I'm so tired, you know, you wake up feeling tired sometimes and, and, oh, I didn't sleep good and blah, blah, blah. I, I like cut those things out of my vocabulary and still mm. I wake up and even, or in the evening, whatever time of day, if I start feeling fatigue, I say, I am full of energy. I'm full of energy. <laughs> it sounds so silly, but, um, but I'm just telling my body what I, what I want it to feel and what I want it to believe. And some other ones are, you know, like, for example, when I was really in a lot of pain for rheumatoid arthritis, I would say I'm, I'm free of pain. I can walk, I can run, I can dance, I can skip, I can, you know, I would say all of these things that I fact I couldn't do, <laughs> but, right. but I said them anyways. And other affirmations are, um, I have permission to be carefree. That's one that I would say when I was feeling really anxious. And yeah, those are probably my top three. Deal with pain, like energy, anxiety. Yeah, I have permission to be carefree. Starting to rewire the brain. And then it sounds like you started to feel that shift, which is, which is awesome. So at what point did you, so you did all this work on yourself. And by the way, about when did you start having all these symptoms? What was the first thing that clued you in? It sounds like you've had a lot going on since like teenage years, would you say? No, I was just young. I got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and Hashimoto's within six months of each other. I was oh. 26 years old. Got it. So, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you've been dealing with it for a while. And at what point, obviously you had to have some shifts on your own journey. Were you inspired to help other people? Like what was that light bulb moment where you're like, okay, if I can feel this way, I know others can too. Was there this yeah. moment of just kind of revelation that that was your path? There was a moment and it actually wasn't, it was because of a conversation that I was having with a friend of mine who was a nurse. It was just a, a an acquaintance. Like we're not super close, but we were having coffee and she was asking me a lot of questions. And this was about seven or eight years after I'd walked through my own healing journey and, you know, friends and family had asked me for advice and wisdom and different things. And so I'd shared little nuggets with people, but I was having coffee with this friend and she was dealing with some health issues and she's a nurse, you know, a nurse. And, um, and I was like, well, did you ask your doctor about this? Well, did they check this on your labs? Have you considered this might be what's going on? You know, I was just asking her a lot of questions about her experience and, and what her physicians had been saying to her. And, you know, she was feeling frustrated because she didn't have any answers. And so we talked for about 20 minutes. And at the end of that conversation, she was like, oh my gosh. She said, I I've learned more from you in this 20 minutes than I have from any of the, you know, licensed practitioners that I've worked with. And, and I know what kinds of questions to go with now. And I know what labs to ask for now. She was like, why aren't you doing this for a living? You could help so many people. And it had just never occurred to me. I, it had just never occurred to me. I was a homeschooling mom and I was deep in 
homeschooling my kids and dealing with all of our stuff. But it was that, that was my light bulb moment. Like, okay, wow. Yeah. I, I could turn this into a career and, and really make an impact and help people improve their lives. Isn't it interesting? I find how we step into like our life purpose. I feel like <laughs> it comes in the, in the strangest ways sometimes. And mm -hmm. that's exciting when you, when you realize that, what were you doing at the time in terms of career and no, was I was like homeschooling my kids. Oh, that's what, okay. Well, but that is a career though, by the way, shout yes. out to all those stay at home moms. That's <laughs> freaking hard. Time. Yes. Yes, I have a three-year-old yeah. and if I have to, if I, I shouldn't say have to watch her, but if I'm with her all day, I'm like, <laughs> my goodness, stay-at-home moms have to do a lot. So I just yes. want to, I want to throw that out there. Okay. So you pivoted, not pivoted, but this was included in that mm -hmm. regimen on a daily basis. Okay, cool. Yes. I want to go back to sleep. You mentioned that and I didn't want to forget it. I had it in the back of my head before we keep going because mm -hmm. I feel like an, I feel like this isn't talked about enough in the chronic illness space. I feel like sleep is a pervasive issue that a lot of people deal with because the body is imbalanced. And when the body is imbalanced, it doesn't want to do the most basic functions like sleep. Mm -hmm. Do you find that a lot of your clients deal with sleep problems? Because I know that I have dealt with pretty extensive sleep problems. And I see a lot of people, I actually have never met with someone who, upon digging, didn't have disrupted sleep of some kind. You know, it hasn't really come up in a lot of my client sessions. Oh, interesting. I know, right? Um, Maybe they're sleeping bad, but they don't know they're sleeping bad, I think if that's that makes it. sense. I do. I do think that makes a lot of sense because actually uh, about a, a little over a year ago, I decided I was going to do this experiment on myself and cut out caffeine because I wanted to see if it would improve my quality of sleep. Yes. And because I felt like, you know, if I don't with my son's illness, there's a lot of alarms that go off at night and I have to get up and I have to do things to help him. And, and so, um, I've never really had, um, consistent sleep, but it's not my choice. It's, and it's not because of anything happening in my body. It's because of my son's needs, but I, but I wanted to improve the quality of the sleep that I was getting. And so I decided to cut out caffeine and I did that. And I, I wasn't expecting any kind of change because the caffeine that I consume is like, I might drink a cup of coffee four times a week. It wasn't like a bunch of coffee or any, none of that stuff. And so I thought, well, I don't drink that much caffeine. How much of a difference could it make? Right. Well, I cut it out and I'm not kidding in one week. I was like, holy moly. I didn't know that even though I was still getting fractured sleep because I didn't, you know, nothing changed with my son. He still needed my help in the middle of the night, multiple times a night. Um, but so even though I was getting the same fractured sleep, the quality of that fractured sleep was so drastically improved that I, I just haven't added coffee back in. I'm like, I don't care about it. I, I just feel so much better with not having that. And, and my sleep is so drastically improved. Like I wasn't expecting that to happen. I was totally surprised. I know so many people that have eliminated caffeine, coffee, and their sleep improved, their anxiety improved so much so that I now tell people, if you have anxiety, stay away from coffee. It is mm -hmm. the last thing you need. If you deal with, I I've given it up as well. I gave it up years ago. I used to, <laughs> I used to drink it. Right. And I was like, oh, I'm focused, but mm -hmm. no, I was, I was very much so anxious on edge, almost shaky. Mm -hmm. And I just mm -hmm. never really attributed it to the coffee. You know, and it's yeah. only one, like you said, only one cup. My sleep was weird. Going back to the sleep. So a lot of people I meet, even if they don't have to wake up in the middle of the night for something. Mm -hmm. So I, I say, okay, how are you sleeping? I'm sleeping okay. And then I dive in deeper 
and oh, I'm waking up four times a night. Sometimes it's hard to fall back asleep. I might have a hot flash, et cetera, et cetera, wow. et cetera. So that's why I mentioned that because I just, I think it's just something in the chronic illness space that's not as recognized that, yeah. and I think that sometimes the poor sleep could be exacerbating symptoms because- Oh, I know it is. You know what I mean? Well, we're not sleeping oh, yeah. optimally. And I think some people get so used to their poor sleep that they don't even uh, think of it as being linked with maybe their chronic illness progressing or them mm -hmm. not being able to reel it in. So I was just yeah. curious if you're seeing that. I love that you bring it up because I think that having a, a really solid sleep routine is so important for people who deal with chronic illness. So even though my clients haven't ever complained, I'm always like, okay, we get the, let's get your sleep routine down. You know, it's like, let's, let's talk about what time you're going to bed. And is it the same time every night? And are you waking up at the same time every morning and to have blackout curtains and do you, you know, all these different things, because it really matters. It really matters. No device is late at night. You know, you've got to turn off all the lights from your brain so that they're not feeling stimulated and you can get to sleep. And there's so many supplements that can help us too, with like, you know, just making sure our body calms down at the right time of night so that we want to go to sleep and all those kinds of things. What are some of your favorites that you use with yourself or with clients when it comes to calming close to bedtime? Uh, favorite what? I'm sorry. Supplements. Oh, magnesium glycinate. It's mm. a magnesium glycinate. It's like a chelated form of magnesium. So it's mm -hmm. the most absorbable and it actually supports like 300 functions in your body. Mm -hmm. And we buy ours in the, I can't remember what the, what the brand is, but it's, it's a syrup. It's a liquid and there's no added sugar, but it tastes like a pixie stick. <laughs> <laughs> Most people are deficient in magnesium too. So that's a almost big one. everyone, almost everyone. Yeah, yeah. Like and vitamin D3 and the B vitamins, you know, all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I think there's just like, uh, I actually have actually, if you want to offer this to your listeners, I have a medicine cabinet makeover cheat sheet. Oh, um, good. That's awesome. That I could share the link with you too, because it actually will help people get some information about all of the like basic supplements and switching over from, you know, well, if I'm in pain, I usually this like pharmaceuticals are important. And of course, everyone should always check with their doctor, but there's a lot of herbals and teas and natural supplements that um, can be used for things. And it took a lot of time for me to learn about all of those things. And so I've put it all in a little concise, um, little cheat sheet. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm sure they would love that. I feel like it's really easy to rely on the things that we're really used to and comfortable with, but we don't know that it could be doing more harm than good long-term. Right. And ideally we wouldn't need those things. So I actually talk about this a lot. I call it symptom chasing where it's like mm. whack-a-mole. Like we have this symptom, we give it this and we have this and then we have this. But yes. at the same time, I also believe in quality of life. I don't believe in trying to sail through and just tough it out until again, that magical moment where we're just healed. So I always right. say I'm team Band-Aid as long as we're doing the work. So yes. like Band-Aid, but also I don't wanna need this down the road or I wanna need much less of this down the road. You right, know? well, the thing is too, with a lot of people who deal with chronic or autoimmune illness is that there are a lot of times there's issues with absorption. So yes. even if you're eating a really fantastic diet and you're doing great with your nutrition, your different things with your gut could be inhibiting your absorption. And yes. so then you need the added, like the chelated forms of different nutrients, yes. so supplements so that you can actually absorb it and your body can utilize it. Yeah. And so. then your body can heal and get to a better place. I think gut health is, I call it the epicenter of our health at this point, because I've never met anyone who didn't have impaired gut health. You and, know that 90% of your immune system lives in your yeah, gut. Yeah. And serotonin, which hello, yes. like, you know, depression, anxiety. So there's, yes. I feel like we need more funding or something. I, there's a lot of science on it actually, that's mm -hmm. validated that the gut is relevant, but I don't think there's enough 
conclusive in that I don't see my Western doctor adopting it as much, right? I don't see them talking about it as much. So I can't wait for that day. I hope we're around for We're this getting day. there. I know. Yes, I... <laughs> we're getting there. A lot of the instructors that I had where I went to school for nutrition, a lot of the instructors were actually Western doctors that decided to get into nutrition so that they become naturopathic and functional doctors. And now they, they use both, you know, it's like, okay, well, we're going to run these tests. Oh, but you need to use this supplement. And it's really cool to see doctors um, getting on board with learning more about nutrition and gut health. Yeah, I love it. I think as we start to see this shift, and actually our guest last week said something that I really resonated with. And basically, alternative medicine used to be the medicine. Medicine, yes. <laughs> it's not alternative. It was the original form. Yeah, it was like the OG, okay? And then it became alternative. And a lot of it has to do with money, as usual. So I think if we can shift back, and I think the two can coexist. I always say, you know, if my arm's falling off or my heart needs to be replaced or something like that, I'm really thankful for modern advancements. Oh, me too. Like I said, my son would be dead. Right. There's nothing natural that I can do to make his pancreas produce more insulin. And insulin is a hormone you have to have to live. And so thank God for artificial insulin. Like, seriously, he wouldn't be here today. Yeah. So I I totally agree that they can coexist because also, even though he's got that condition and we have to inject insulin into his body, that boy knows how to eat. He knows how to, he he knows what's healthy. He knows what's not healthy. He knows how to make good choices. And he knows that caffeine will spike him and that this will make him crash. And, you know, you, you have to, you have to learn both ways. I think, you know, my ideal, and I don't think it will ever happen, but I'm in my mind, I'm putting that out there into the universe. How cool would it be to have, let's say a clinic where you had functional doctors, you had you know, regular doctors all kind of coexisting in the same space. And then Mm. they lean on each other when one per, because here's the deal. We know there's a lot of patients who aren't willing to do the work. We know this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's partly why doctors, I don't want to say they've given up, but I definitely think they're kind of like, okay, what pill do you want? Because they, I know it, you know, it infuriates me so much. Yeah. And, but I think a lot of it has to do with the patient as well. The patient's going in there saying hand out, you know, I want that pill. I don't want to actually do the work. And then there's patients like ourselves, like the people that we attract to us to, to work with us who they're willing to do the work. They're going to do the homework. They're going to be the students. And unfortunately they're not given that because I think the doctors are so tired of seeing the patient who's like, just hand out, give me the pill. So that's where I think mm-hmm. their disconnect is. And I feel like, right. could we, could we have some sort of pipeline? Hey, I have a, I have someone who's willing to do the work. I'm sending him to you. <laughs> yes. yes, I totally agree. That would be amazing. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to mention, I, I just think that that's, that's so important for us to just to lean on. And I think that's why people like, like you, like me, like, any kind of functional space that we exist because we want to help people on that deeper level. And speaking of, of deeper and maybe a little bit woo woo, but Jesse and I are super woo woo. So we always make that disclaimer. This isn't, <laughs> isn't woo woo though. This is actually science. If you think about how the body works, I was reading Sometimes your Instagram. Sometimes they go together. <laughs> yes. I was, I was reading your Instagram and you had this thing about checking for low stomach acid Yes, that's favorite thing to talk about right now. Okay, yes, okay. So I'm going to give you the platform. Talk about it. I think our listeners would love this because low stomach acid is something that a lot of people don't know they have, and a lot of people take antacids and different things to make it even worse. So can you just shine your light on this subject for me? Oh my gosh, yes. Thank you for asking that. So I actually, the reason I posted it on my Instagram, I'm just going to share my own personal story with this, is because I, like I said. 
the Hashimoto's has flared back up because of all kinds of different things that are not related to my nutrition or any of my, you know, I teach people all the time how to get their hormones in balance and lose weight and all those things. And my body is like, you're not doing it. Okay. So, <laughs> so I was like, there, what is going on? You know, I've been to my functional doctors. I've had all these labs tested, you know, my antibodies are going down, like everything's doing the, everything that's supposed to be doing, but I have this persistent cough in the morning, like, and I'm like, okay, no, I'm not getting allergies. Cause I don't have any of the other symptoms. It's just in the morning, this little bit of time. I was also feeling really, it's one thing you got to pay attention to your body, right? Like if you're going to be your own detective and your own advocate in your health, you have to start listening to your body and, and not just like dismiss little things like, oh, I'm getting older. Or that's just because of the weather or whatever. No, pay attention. And so this persistent cough, I mean, it was a while, not, not a cough. Like I have a cold, but you know, congestion, something. And I thought, what in the world could this be? And so I love um, Dr. Isabella Wentz. She calls herself the thyroid pharmacist. So she I'm, really changed the game for me. Yeah. I love I, her. Yes. yes. And she sends the most informative emails. And I'm like, ooh, okay. So actually I got an email from her that it talked about this low stomach acid thing. And I thought, well, I'm going to check this out because all these symptoms that she's talking about with the, I don't even remember what she said they were, but, but I had the persistent cough one and I was like, and the discomfort when I would eat protein. So I gas bloating, fatigue, heartburn, but we think the heartburn is because of too much. And that's where I think people get confused is they're like, Oh, I have too much. Let me take something to lower it, which makes it even worse. I know. See, I didn't have, I didn't have heartburn. I didn't have any of that, but I had the bloating and I had the cough. And so, but yes, you're right about the, um, what are they called? The something inhibitors. I can't even remember what they are, but yeah, the antacids. So I did the little test that she said to do with the low stomach acid. And, you know, you do it with baking soda at home, or you can order this supplement that she talks about. It's the, um, bed in HCL with pepsin. And so I actually ordered the supplement and I did the test that way. And it's crazy because it, she tells you to titrate, like, okay, start by taking one pill when you have a meal with protein and see if you get this reaction. And then if you don't, then at the next meal, take two. And then, it, okay. So I did her little thing. Well, I was up to five pills before I had a reaction and I was like, oh my gosh. And so that tells you when you take that test, how de deficient you are with your stomach acid. And the reason that stomach acid is so important is because you need that stomach acid to break down all the different parts of your foods so that you can properly absorb your nutrients. Like we we're talking about earlier. So I was like, okay, I don't have enough stomach acid. Well, I started taking the supplement and um, it didn't take very long at all that I started noticing I wasn't having the bloating when I would eat meals with protein. I wasn't having the persistent cough in the morning. And um, I just generally felt that, and I started losing weight, like something I've been struggling to do for a couple of years now, actually. Um, I, I started losing weight and I thought, okay, this is ridiculous. No one has said anything to me about this. And so I'm, yeah, really trying to get that out there. Like, test to see if you have low stomach acid, because if you're deficient in like, if you're deficient in certain nutrients or you're having any of those symptoms that we talked about, cause that's the thing too. Some people can be eating a really great diet and taking all these supplements and they're still showing low levels of certain things on their lab work. It could be because they have low stomach acid. I call that expensive pee at that point because <laughs> it's just flushing right through, yes. you know? Yes. 
You have a home remedy, not home remedy. You have a test that you also do with baking soda. What is that? What is that test? Yes. Um, I don't even know it because like I said, it's, it's, I got it from Dr. Isabella Wentz and I shared it on my Instagram, but it's like, you do something with the, I'm like looking it up right now on my. Yeah. Cause I was thinking it'd be fun to have an idea of what we can do from home using, yes. you know, the baking soda, because I think some people the supplement would definitely be helpful, but just having that the availability at home to just the quick little, that, that interested me for sure. So here it is. You're going to, before you eat or drink anything, when you get up in the morning, you mix one fourth of a teaspoon of baking soda in four to six ounces of cold water. Then you drink that solution and then you time how long it takes for you to burp. So you time it for up to five minutes. And if you don't burp within five minutes, then you probably don't have enough stomach acid. But if there's early and repeated burping, um, that could be due to too much stomach acid. Any burping after three minutes is an indication of low stomach acid levels. So if you burp after three minutes, then that means that you probably have low stomach acid and you probably need to supplement with this bedding HCL with Pepsi. Because it took you too long to burp basically. Like, right. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Isn't so that that's cool? A good little rem yeah. I think most people, here's the deal. I think most people have some sort of gut issue mm -hmm. and I'm noticing gut infections are rampant these days. H. pylori is huge. Yes. We hear about this all the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think because the gut is so important, it also doesn't surprise me that chronic illness is on the rise and so many other ailments that people continually yes. deal with. So I think that's really great to hone in on just even the simple things that we can do at first, because think mm -hmm. about it as a, the, your foundation, if you can get that in order and start to, and I think maybe we can expand on that a little bit so people understand just how important it is to absorb our nutrition. Because oh when my we gosh. don't, we have deficiencies and those deficiencies lead to symptoms. Yes. You know, yeah. so if we're low in, for example, B vitamins, we can have mm -hmm. a lot of neurological issues. We can have a lot of even mental health issues. Magnesium, like you said, 300 plus chemical processes in the body. Being low mm -hmm. in magnesium, when I was low in magnesium, I felt like I was literally losing my mind. That's and how I feel when I'm low on vitamin D. Yes. It's it's yes. almost like you, you wonder, okay, is this it? Have I suddenly now reached the edge of... <laughs> my sanity, you know, and yes. then it could be as simple as something that isn't optimal mm -hmm. and right. Optimal and is different I, than normal. Thank you for saying that so much because I, I'm just on this mission to help people understand that if their doctor says, oh yeah, that's, that was normal. I really, people need to learn how to read their own labs. Like I know yes. that sounds too like time consuming, but it's really not that hard. And I just, the thing with vitamin D is, you know, a normal Western medicine doctor will say that 30 is normal. Like that's what it'll show in the labs. Like, oh, it was 30. Okay. That was normal. But if you go to a functional or a naturopathic doctor, they're going to say, oh, if it's not 70 or higher, you're not, you're going to feel like crud. And so yeah. you need to get that higher. And so yeah. that's a big difference. There's a big difference between Huge. 30 and 70, 75. And, um, so, you know, regular doctor will be like, oh no, you don't need a supplement or you don't need to do anything else. Whereas a functional doctor would be like, you need to take 10,000 IUs a day until we get this up, you know? And so yeah. It really, the difference between optimal, optimal and normal really matters. So what I like to do is I will focus on, I, I do have vitamin D as well. And then there's this app that I think you are going to love. And for those who are listening, I'm showing Daphne the app. It's called D-Minder. So D-M-I-N-D-E-R. 
And so basically you're able to track your sun exposure and it That's will cool. tell you an equivalent in IUs of how much vitamin D you're absorbing from the sun. And it asks you your skin tone, your propensity for burning and all different questions to really be able to estimate. It asks you if, if it's overcast that day or not. That is cool. Mm -hmm. Because I really believe in sunshine. Sunshine has been a huge pillar of my own health journey, especially with my insomnia. I noticed when I started getting more sun, that really improved. And for me, I'm lucky I can be in the sun for quite some time before I was going I to start say burning. your skin tone looks like, did you know though, that your propensity for burning is directly linked to your levels of vitamin D. And if you're Yes. low in vitamin D, you're more likely to burn. And I have also heard this. people need to know, right. That it's sun exposure without sunscreen on your skin. Oh, thank you for mentioning that. Yes. <laughs> So what I have because people... it blocks it. Right. And so people are very sun phobic and that scares me because if you listen to this episode, it's gosh, I don't remember the uh, the exact episode, but Ari Witten, he's the, the sun guy. He talks about how the diseases from not getting enough sun are far worse than Yes. the risk of sun and how we can get safe sun exposure. So what I do now and I do this with my clients too is sun intervals. So I'll have them go out for 10 to 15 minutes at a time, several times per day versus baking for several hours. Yes. And then they're able to directly absorb it. And I'm so envious of some of my lighter skin clients because they will be in the sun for, I don't even know, maybe 10 minutes and they'll get six times. I'm not even kidding you. Six times the amount of vitamin D. I'm like, you need Wow. to appreciate that because I have Wow. to be in the sun for a long time to reach that amount. That's So so interesting. I didn't know that. Wow. yeah, it's really cool. But And I think it's a good uh, supplement to the supplement, right? To mm have -hmm. actual yes. vitamin D from the sun and get away from that sun phobia and Right. practice safe sun exposure. I'm not advocating that we go and burn or stay for hours, but I really like having this app too, to kind of quantify it for me. Like you got X amount of IUs. And then I'm like, Love yeah. that. That's so good. Yeah. I didn't know until I think it was one of my aunts. It was probably five or six years ago. You know, I'm very, for people listening, I'm extremely light skinned, very pale. And, um, when I was a kid, I was, I would burn I, no matter what I was just burning all the time using 50 SPF, which doesn't even do you any good. Okay. And so burning all the time and peeling like a lobster and it's so bad for me. And it wasn't until I, um, started learning more about nutrition and supplementation, all those kinds of things that I began to understand healthy sun exposure, vitamin D, all those kinds of things. So I started being less afraid of the sun, like you're talking about and spending more time in it in increments, just like you're suggesting. And let me tell you, I, my aunt a couple of years ago was like, Oh my gosh, Daphne, I didn't know you could get a tan. Like <laughs> I was, I was very nice and brown and I felt so proud of myself and, um, and no burning, no peeling, no pain, none of that, just lots and lots of time in the sun in increments and then getting in the shade and then wearing long sleeves and having a hat, you know, safety. And it just feels good to be able to be in the sun and get those vitamin D and, or that vitamin D and, and not be afraid of what it's going to do to my skin or my health. Daphne, I have to tell you that that reminds me, people keep thinking I've been going on vacation because I've been in the sun so much. So I'm probably three shades darker than my normal color. And everyone keeps asking me like, where have you been? Have you been going on vacation? 
in my backyard just getting some sun intervals. So I completely, I know what she means by that. That's good. Word to the wise, sun, vitamin D. I think even now, definitely during this time, we're learning how important vitamin D is, how important immune system. And that's actually one thing we didn't touch on is how important vitamin D is for the immune system as well. So when our levels are low, that's not functioning. So I think it's just a good overall PSA. Yes. So I want to shift a little bit and I want to ask you some questions around how you approach helping others, because I know we've, we've learned a lot about your journey and I know we didn't touch on it as much, but I do just want to acknowledge that there, if there are other mamas on who have a child that has special needs of any kind. So before we touch on that, I want to actually ask this question. So that's a big deal. And we didn't touch on that as much. And so one of the questions I have is, how are you navigating that as far as your nervous system goes and keeping yourself in a place where you're not completely surrendering all of you, mm-hmm. right? You're still able to maintain a sense of self and take care of yourself. What are like a couple things that you're able to do to navigate that journey of, cause I know what it's like. I have a kid and if my child had any, I would give all of me, but how are you yes. able to also retain a little bit of you in that process? Gosh, I wish I would have learned these things a lot earlier. My kids are actually all adults now. <laughs> um, my youngest, oh, are they? Okay. Yeah, my youngest just turned 18. So I probably didn't start on the, I know that the word self-care triggers a lot of people and then other people are all about it. And so I don't know what your audience feels about the word self-care, but I started on my self-care journey uh, probably five or six years ago. And, um, and like I said, I wish I would have started a lot earlier, but it looked for me like, um, number one, just releasing their, releasing the weight of the responsibility of their safety. And that I think was probably the hardest thing for me to do. And I still have to do it all the time. Like, even though they're adults, two of them still live at home, um, because there are a lot of extra challenges that go along with having a special need and things are expensive when you have illnesses and, you know, so people all the time are like, don't you want them to move out and go? Yes. But their bills are a lot more expensive than your kids bills who don't have these things. And so they're welcome to stay here as long as they want while they're building their adult lives. Um, but so we're leasing the weight of the responsibility of keeping them safe because I, um, you know, I can teach them and I can nurture them and I can, um, advocate for them and all of those kinds of things. But I literally was, was living in so much anxiety about, um, you know, what if this happens, what if that happens, what, you know, I have a mentor who calls that, um, future tripping Mm. and how, if we're imagining the future with fear, then we're partnering with the wrong thing. Ooh, wait, let's say (sighs) it again, just so everyone caught that. So when we're imagining the future with fear, we're partnering with the wrong thing. So basically we're saying fear, you're going to be my partner in life instead of love and faith and whatever else it is. Ooh, that's hope and light and wisdom and truth and all those Mm. things. Yeah. So I, I, I would rather partner with those things, hope, light, love, wisdom, truth, you know, um, healing. I I don't want to partner my imagination with faith. And so that really helped me relieve a lot of anxiety. So that's part of my self-care journey that's ongoing is anytime an anxious thought pops up or I get worried about them or something, um, traumatic happens with them because it happens a lot. Even now, um, I I have to, I I have to direct my thoughts away from fear. Mm. Um, so that's part of my self-care journey. And then, um, another part is, was giving myself permission to, to 
explore my own dreams and the things that I wanted for my life, because when they were, I, and like I said, I wish I would have done it when they were really little looking back. I'm like, I could have done this. I could have done this, but I don't have any regrets about the way I parented them. I just, um, I wish I would have given myself permission to dream a little earlier because I was so involved in their day-to-day care and, um, just being a mom, you know, I, I think that even moms who don't have kids with chronic illnesses can lose their self themselves in being a mom because they think, well, this is my job. And, and, um, even if they're not stay at home moms, cause you're working and then you come home and you're working at home and it's very exhausting. And so I think women, um, women and, and, and maybe even not moms, just women who have roles that are very demanding, you know, um, we have to give ourselves permission to rest, permission to dream, permission to do things that really light us up and inspire and motivate us um, because that lights up all those places in your brain, right? That give you those natural endorphins and chemical releases that combat anxiety. That's great. And I feel like the reason we have to give ourselves permission is not because someone ever told us that we can't do it. It's because we told ourselves. Exactly. Yes. And- yeah, that's we come up the, with all these excuses and reasons. And that's what I'm talking about with the, the weight of different responsibilities. Well, I have to do this. I should do this. Should is a big trigger word. I think if women are hearing the word should in their minds, well, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I shouldn't do, I shouldn't do. Should is a huge like warning flag word for me mm-hmm. that, um, that maybe you're going in a direction that you wouldn't naturally go because you feel obligated to do something else. Mm. Almost a violation of boundaries. Mm-hmm. Maybe with yourself or someone else. Someone had said something similar. Basically, when you feel on the defense, that's a sign that a viol- a boundary may have been violated. Not yes. intentionally or that the person had ill intent, but right. that's just a sign that maybe you have a boundary that needs to be reinstated in some way if it makes mm-hmm. you uncomfortable. Yes. That's really great. I love your wording of permission. That's a really great way to say it. And I think a lot of our listeners can take that to heart. So. So going back to my other thing, because, you know, I'm good on tangents. I love to talk. I'm long-winded. <laughs> what would you tell someone who's just been diagnosed with insert illness here and they're mm-hmm. terrified? They don't know where to start. They're feeling lost. What are, What's something that you would tell them to ease their mind and, and give them hope? Well, the first thing I would say is please don't get on the internet and Google all the things that can happen with your condition please, because you're just going to get really scared and you're going to find Facebook groups where people are telling you all the terrible things that happened to them with their diagnosis. And it's just so not good. So I would, the first thing would be a don't, don't Google it. Don't look for, I don't even know, like, how do you help people find a real support group where there's not all that junk going on. That's one Um, of the reasons Jesse started this podcast because she was going in these groups and yes, we want to come together and find solutions, but it became a lot of complaining. I'm having a hard day and like just sucks. And then, so we forget social media is still an energetic exchange and it's Mm -hmm. similar to having a conversation like we're having now. This is an energy exchange, Mm -hmm. but on social media as amplified. You're doing that with 25, 50, 75, 100 plus people a day, every day. And we don't take that into account how much that can drain us. Imagine having a conversation every single day or being given information from someone in your space, 100 plus people a day. That's a yeah. big deal. And then in these groups, that's amplified. So yes. yeah, that's one of the reasons she started this. That's great. 
That's great. I know I've been um, thinking about starting a, a community, because, but, you know, cause I'm like, I just, I know that there had to be people who want real connection and they want to bring their authentic vulnerable selves, but they want encouragement and they want to be uplifted and they want to be inspired and they want to be motivated. They don't want to be torn down. And here's where you partner with fear in this group, you know, it's like, Oh no. <laughs> so, um, okay. So back to answering your question. I would, I would not well, that actually things. answers my question anyway, because I feel okay, like, then. yeah, letting them know not to go into Facebook groups, letting them know to fire Dr. Google. I love that. That's really yes. good initial advice. And some people, they may not even be diagnosed yet, but mm -mm. they just think they might have something and they're having symptoms. So what yes. are a couple other things that are coming to mind for you? Okay. Well, another thing that comes to mind to me is to not get into agreement with the prognosis because one of the things that my rheumatologist said to me in the beginning was this is for the rest of your life. This doesn't go away. Um, you know, and I asked her like, well, could changing my nutrition help? Or is there anything I could do to like alleviate symptoms? No, just, I mean, and I just kept getting more and more medications and sicker and sicker and more and more tired. And, oh my gosh, it was seven years of like pure hell. Like I was, it was awful. And so but once I decided that I didn't want to agree with her anymore, and I wanted to partner with light and truth and wisdom and hope for healing and all of those things, that's when I started to be able to change my mindset and go, okay, what can I do today that will change the reality in my body? And so I think, um, so that's actually two, two part answer is one, you don't have to partner. You don't have to agree with the prognosis that your physician gives you because just because that's what they've seen with every other patient doesn't mean that has to be your reality. And two is, um, to just take it one day at a time where we only know that we have today and we woke up today. We don't know if we're going to wake up tomorrow. So we only have today. Let's not think about, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what can I do today? That's going to make me feel alive. That's going to give me energy. That's going to make me feel full of purpose. That's going to give, bring me hope. Um, and to focus on that, to focus on today and the things that we want from today and the things that we can do today. Mm, that's beautiful. I love your outlook. It's so lovely. <laughs> Thanks. And I feel like the number one thing that you keep saying over and over, which I just want us to really open up is, is partnering with, that's such a great way to say it. And I think it's easier to partner with things like fear because that's one, how we're wired. We're wired to look for fear. We have to actually do work to get out of that, that wiring. Mm -hmm. But two, fear just becomes home after a while. It just becomes yeah. home. It becomes natural to us. We don't realize that we're suffering because we've been suffering for so long and that becomes our new okay. normal. So yeah. it can be actually really scary to partner yes. with hope and it can be scary to heal. Sometimes we get so stuck in the diagnosis and, and being someone who has symptoms that it actually can feel scary to not have those someday because then who will we be? Who am right. I without my symptoms and without my diagnosis and without my medical record? Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I love to tell people is that your illness is not your identity. Yes. Your illness is not your identity. And so yes. without it, you will still be who you are. You will just yes. be a freer, more vibrant, more energetic um, version of you. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Kind of like how a job isn't your identity. We tend right. to attach our identity to things, illnesses, mm -hmm. jobs, different things, versus being a freestanding individual who. And by the way, I'm not perfect at this. This is just an observation. Easier said than done, right? Yes. But we tend to be a freestand. We want to become a freestanding person who exists outside of these things, and then we simply put our touch on these things. So I'm at this job now, but maybe mm -hmm. I won't be later and I'm just going to take myself and go somewhere else. And I'm still right. the same person. I had this major identity shift when I left my corporate gig. So I worked at a bank for 13 years and I stepped into the wellness space. And mm -hmm. I kid you not, I called my mom and I said, mom, I don't know who I am. I, I don't mm. know, what am I supposed to, who am I supposed to be now? It was yeah. such a shock to not be Christina the banker. <laughs> and, you know, I do know. Okay. Except my wisdom is like, I'm not Daphne, the homeschool mom. I'm Daphne, the chronic illness coach. Yes. Wild. <laughs> it's really weird at first, right? It yeah. feels like this really weird moment in your life where you're There's excited. Grieving process. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. You're like excited, but terrified all mm -hmm. at the same time. Kind of like when I was getting into this solo episode, but now I feel great. So we're good. <laughs> yes. You're a so, great interviewer. Thank you. And you're a great guest. So Daphne, is there anything we haven't touched on? We have a final couple of questions we always like to ask our guests, but prior to that, is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to make sure we do or any messages that you want to parlay to people? Gosh, no, I think we've covered a lot of things in a really short amount of time and it feels really good. Yeah. Okay. So last two questions before we wrap it up. One thing okay. we always like to ask our guests is what are some things you do every single day to keep you feeling your best? Oh my gosh. I care about what I eat. That doesn't mean I eat perfectly. Some days that means that I eat something that I really want to eat, <laughs> even though it's not part of my norm. So I really pay attention to food. I really pay attention to my body. I really pay attention to the people that I engage with. Um, and by that, I mean, I'm really careful about, I'm just really careful about who I interact with because mm. I, that's energy. part of energy, right? Yeah. It's, I, I need to protect my energy. Including on social media, I assume. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I've gotten to this point where I'm like, oh, I'm just not even going to respond to that comment or, <laughs> you know, like, Okay. That person must be having a bad day. Bless them. Okay. I'm moving on. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. <laughs> yes. yes. So yeah, I, I, those are, those are some, some big things for me, food relationships. Um, oh, I move my body. I do try to get sunlight often. I love one. Oh, one of my favorite things is to sit out on my patio right before we have dinner, like dinner's usually cooking and I go outside and the sun is setting and I just sit in stillness and quiet and my phone is not near me. And I just, I just am with myself and nature. And that's, that's a new thing that I'm really enjoying right now, because I think there's, I think people get nervous or anxious about being by themselves with their thoughts. And so I've been practicing that a lot and it's really empowering. Mm, presence. I love mm -hmm. that. And I actually want to expand on this a little bit because you mentioned that you're going through a little bit of a Hashimoto setback. And I love your transparency because I think it's really important as coaches that we don't pretend to have all the answers. We are on a journey just like everyone else. And I think what sets us apart from the doctors that people have seen is that we're willing to find those answers. We're willing to be resourceful. We're willing to learn and grow and figure it out along with the client, mm -hmm. just like we do on our own journey. So what are a couple things that you do during a flare specifically that might be enhancing your normal routine when it comes to, to self-care daily? I know it's weird because I wouldn't 
really say that what I'm going through right now is a flare because levels are pretty normal. It's just this issue that I'm having with my weight, but I found out that it's because I'm dealing with insulin resistance, which is very common in people with Hashimoto's, which most people don't know about. And I wouldn't have known about if I didn't look at my labs and I didn't check my blood, you know, like there's so many things that mm. you're, the doctor's like, Oh, that's normal. That's normal. But I look at it. I'm like, Oh no, that's inching closer to like, that's not optimal. That's inching yeah. close to, to pre-diabetes. And I'm going to start checking my blood sugar at home. And Oh, that's a little bit higher than I, it needs to be. And so I'm going to start doing something about that. Um, and I've totally lost what your question was. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm no, really- it's a totally thing. <laughs> well, I was just saying when you, maybe you're not in a flare now, when you have been in the past or when you have a mm-hmm. client who's going through a flare, what are a couple of things you'd recommend they do each day to feel their best in terms oh, of just yeah. managing that? Okay. I think people should learn to ask for help. Learn to yes. ask for help. And I think that that can look so many different ways. So some ways that I've done that in the past are, Um, like I would exchange babysitting with a friend of mine who was also a homeschool mom. And so there were, we would swap out like every Friday was one of our days. So like one, two Fridays a month, she would have all my kids and all her kids and two Fridays a month, I would have all the kids. And that way, both of us got two days, two days a month where we could sleep, do laundry, go get groceries without a bunch of kids around us or whatever else we needed to do, which really helped preserve some of our energy. And, um, but it could also look like hiring someone to come and help you. There was a season in my life where I always had someone coming to clean my house every two weeks because trying to clean my entire house with sweeping and mopping and dusting and vacuuming and all the things that need to happen would wipe me out for three or four days. And I didn't want to spend the energy. I'd rather spend the money so that I could use my energy for my kids. Mm. Um, and which can be like, I think that's a mindset shift for people too. like knowing that you're worth that, like you're worth the, however much money you would have to spend to hire someone to come clean your house once a month, twice a month or whatever it might be. Um, and there were other seasons where I would like go drop the laundry off at a facility so that someone could wash, dry, fold my laundry. And I would just go back and pick it up. Um, I like that. Actually, that's, I think that alone stands on its own. Asking for help is something we don't do naturally anyway. So especially during a flare. Yes. It was really, really hard for me. I, I like to, you know, I'm, I tell people I'm a recovering type A perfectionist. I'm like, I can do it. I don't need your help. I've got this blah, blah, blah. You know, but my husband worked out of town six weeks at a time. He wasn't home. He couldn't help me. Um, and some people listening might be single moms, you know, they, but ask for help. And then the other part of that is, um, learn to say no. And it's, it's not rude. I don't know why we, maybe this wasn't instilled in you, but I feel like, I just, it was rude to say, no, don't say no to people. If people need your help, you should be willing to serve them. And, you know, but that's, this was tearing me up physically, like in my relationship with my husband, my kids, because then I like could never say no to people. And I'm like saying yes to all these obligations. We talked about earlier, the word should, right. And so I'm spending all of this energy, investing all of this energy into these things that, I mean, we're good things and good people and, and good causes, but then I was spent because I spent it all there and I didn't have it for me and I didn't have it for my family. I didn't have it for my home. And that that's not healthy. That's not good. So learning to say no is huge. Yeah. No is a complete sentence. It's true. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love that. That's, that's a good reminder. Well, thank you, Daphne. This has been so fun. You have been such a pleasure and I feel like you've left our listeners with some really good gems, including the stomach acid thing, which I think they're going to (laughs) love. I feel like a lot of people are going to be at home doing the bacon soda challenge. So we'll have to see. I hope they'll tag me on social and let me know what their results were. That'd be so to see. 
I, I want to see that. So where can people find you? I am Daphne, the chronic illness coach, just about everywhere. So they can find me there. Daphne, D-A-F-N-E, the chronic yes. illness coach. Great. Well, yes. thank you again for being on the show. We've really enjoyed having you. We can't wait for everyone to hear this episode. And it was super fun. Thank you so much for having me, Christina. You did a great job today. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it worked out. I think my fear was unfounded. So we're good. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.